재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 This is Koreascape on TBS EFM 101.3 in Seoul and on streaming platforms around the world. Let's take one more stab at that website that I gave you for the festival. It's Itaewon gvf2017.modu.at gvf because I think in the past they've called it the Global Village Festival. Itaewon gvf2017 modu at. Okay, so we are into TBS 120 now, which is our little helpline for uh, citizens, sometimes uh, directed at some of the newcomers, but in certain cases directed at people that have a very specific niche informational need. And we've been targeting this week and last week those dreamers out there, particularly in the expat community, that might want to start their own restaurant featuring their national food and serving it up to Koreans and living the good life here in Seoul. Mark Wilson is has been exploring that topic, and he's here now with us. Hi, Mark. Good morning. Glad to be here once again. Nice to see you. So last week, we talked about specifically pop-ups, right? Right. This week, we're going in a slightly different, maybe a slightly deeper direction. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, last week, it was a bit of a, more of a setup to what we're going to talk about today. And uh, today, we're going to talk about actually setting up the, the restaurant itself. Today, we'll go over what you need to do from the technical side. But also go over some really great insight and advice that you won't typically find on a pamphlet or a website uh, through the interview with my uh, with Linus, the barbecue owner, once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linus is uh, a role model for a lot of people because he went from the pop-up stage into the fixed restaurant and now he's expanding sort of his budding empire. Um, so this is assuming you've had a little bit of success either kind of in test pilot meals with your food or maybe you've held your own pop-ups. You're ready to kind of take that plunge. Where do we start? Is it with um, paperwork and visas? There we go. Let's go ahead and get right into the technical stuff first. Uh, I actually had a chance to speak with Mr. Hong and he works at the Seoul Global Center. Mm-hmm. He's in charge of the business consulting services, so not just restaurants, but everything across the board. Uh, this is going to be sort of a quick version, but uh, for the listeners, please feel free to contact him through the Seoul Global Center to get all the information you need. Mm-hmm. I'm essentially parapha- paraphrasing what he had to say because I just chatted with him over the phone. All right, so first, uh, you're going to need to make sure that you have the correct visas. And residential visa, to be more specific, that's the F2, which is residence visa, F4, which is Kyopo, Overseas Korean, Korean adoptee visa, F5, that's permanent residence, and F6, marriage. So make sure you get the right visa there. You need one of those F series. Right. And then on top of that, do you need restaurant-specific paperwork? All right. So next you'll need to go to the local district office, your Gucheng, uh, to get your restaurant license. You'll also have to have to take a six-hour hygiene class as a part of this uh, process. Hygiene class. Yeah, okay. I guess. Uh, Always know. a good thing when we're thinking about sure. restaurants. Keep yeah. it clean, sure. Uh, next, you'll need to go to your health checkup notice. You'll, ha- you'll need your health checkup notice from your district health care center to make sure you're nice and healthy and get signed off so on what, that. So you, you go and they give you a physical? Or what? Uh, yeah, it's essentially physical and they... they Say you're good to go and you're you're healthy enough to to run the place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then you also need to check the address of your location to see if all the gas and fire inspections are passed. This depends on the size and uh, the location of your restaurant. If you're already taking over a restaurant, then chances are that'll already be taken care of. Then 
After you get all this done, you're going to need to get your business license from your district tax tax office. Mm. To get that license, you'll need three things. You'll need your restaurant license, which you got before, your lease contract, and your ID or ARC card, the alien registration card. Sure. Also from the tax office, uh, you'll need to get your alcohol sales license if you intend to sell alcohol. Now, I know in the United States, getting an alcohol sales license is hugely expensive and you got to jump through hoops they don't just give them out indefinitely there's only a certain amount yeah they they it's is it the same basic system i think it's a pretty straightforward process here at least what what mr che said he sounded like it was pretty straightforward okay and then the thing is this you actually have to go to the bank account bank and get a bank account card specifically to buy alcohol from the wholesaler because alcohol is controlled entirely by the government i see yeah you can't just freelance sell alcohol either wholesale or retail. The that's government needs to know about it. Right. That's right. That's right. So a lot to take in, a lot of details. Mr. Che sounds like he helped you out quite a bit. He did. I mean, it's a lot to take in, but he answered all my questions in just a minute or two. So uh, if you're really interested, please, and you want some assistance, go ahead and schedule an appointment for the business consulting services by Mr. Che. And he and other professionals will be more than happy to help. And with he, the paperwork. Yeah, with the paperwork in the process. And uh so that's the, <laughs> I almost want to say that's the easy part, getting your paperwork lined up. Right. Now the hard part it sounds comes. so easy, right? Yeah. yeah. So w- where do you start next in terms of, uh, I don't know, getting your restaurant up and running? Okay. So uh, I guess the thing is what uh, Mr. Che has said and also now Linus has said is a couple things. First, take your time. Take it easy. And it's really good to find people almost like a, a, an A-team, a kind of a, a team of jack-of-all-trades to, to really help you out. Um, Brain trust. Right. Just be careful with people who are just straight-up investors who are sitting on piles of cash. I think like what you said, the, the listeners out there that want to do this, the dreamers, mm-hmm. there are other dreamers out there too. Uh, they just have different skills in different areas. You know, there are he, some sharks out there. You got to yeah, be careful. Yeah. I, I know a friend who got real burned yeah. because he didn't uh, have the proper paperwork and agreement with his backer up front. Mm-hmm. And this guy slapped his name on a place and did all the work, and then he just got uh, completely the rug pulled yeah, out from him. Yeah. Which is not to say that they're all bad out there, but there are bad people as there are in every marketplace. I mean, it's really good to have that trust, almost that that that. Uh, friendship or something there before you go ahead and get started mm. and the people who are willing to be there in the trenches or what linus likes to say put in that sweat equity like be there put in the elbow grease not just doing all the the technical things but just being there every step of the way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. teamwork teamwork is key yeah teamwork is key um let's a good formula probably to have is someone who you know who can cook and make the stuff with the proper ingredients, but then you might need somebody who handles accounting and also works with international shipping and transport. And then maybe a third teammate to go ahead and make sure, uh, you know, you have all your permits and all that taken care of, you know, that it goes according to law. So it's really good to have uh, that team that can be able to handle everything. So sometimes when we talk about capital, restaurant business is notoriously capital intensive, but it's not necessarily just, you know, 
uh, a giant bank account. It could be intellectual capital. It could be professional knowledge capital, that kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, where to next? I know you mentioned we wanted to get some advice from Linus. Uh, yeah. Shall we, shall we move into that space? Let's do it. Um, I thought this was pretty interesting because I, I didn't even consider this kind of part. But uh, let's say you have your space, you have your team, and you'd like to move in. But chances are you'd probably want to make some changes. Uh, and it's probably more than just switching out some chairs and tables. So you'll probably need to hire a contractor for the reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And it's not as smooth as you can imagine. And Linus was very adamant about how to deal with contractors. And I'll let him explain in the next clip. Excellent. If you ever do get to the to the process of where you're actually going to have a brick and mortar and you're going to hire a contractor and do those things, man, everybody works at a lightning fast pace lightning fast they do things without even asking they assume that this is what you want to do and a lot of times uh, if it's your first restaurant you're probably doing on a budget so it also means that the contractor or the construction manager you're using i don't know how do i put this nicely they're just kind of winging it that also means that you have to sit there it's a lot of money to you but it probably isn't a lot to them you know for what they're doing you better be there like every waking minute from like before they arrive to after they leave i can't stress that enough and you have to be adamant you have to use your common sense and insist upon it and you're going to hear a lot like we don't do it like that here and you have to insist that you things are done the right and and that's how people end up with really messed up kitchens so it sounds like you really got to bird dog those contractors because they'll pad their inventory their their invoice a bit with uh, all kinds of extra work which probably is the standard in other restaurants with like a lot of capital to spend but you as a startup can't really do it well he told me about a specific case where there were uh, his contractors were almost finished constructing the bar itself and some of the other interior he said around 75% but they didn't even start laying down the cement of the floor Mm. I mean, you would think you would go ahead and, and lay that out first. Uh, but he said that they kind of go by their own schedules and their own, uh, you know, what's best for them, assuming that you don't know any better. So say uh, they did something like flooring, but they messed it all up, but you weren't there. What's going to happen? You're going to have to jackhammer it back up and then and then put it down. You can do that. But I mean, that just costs more money. Sequencing, making sure that everything's done in the right sequence because at the end of the day, they don't have to operate the restaurant. They just want to create something that looks pretty restaurant-y and um, you're the one that's going to have to operate it. So you got to make sure it's right. Yeah, you have to be adamant, use that common sense. That's correct. Okay. And how about the, if you've got the location, you've got a whole bunch of real estate documents as well. Who handles that? Well, that's the thing. Uh, The last one is about dealing with your lease and the real estate and it's not just as simple as just paying a rent for a year or two. Uh, you, well, what's going to happen is you're going to go sign your lease for one or two years and without the, hopefully, the guarantee of the increase of your rental fee. Mm. Hopefully, it'll just stay that price. Uh, it may change to five, but now it's just one to two years. But the thing is, if you miss a payment or violate anything, the owners, they can essentially kick you out. So you have to make sure you get those payments in. And, uh, it's rent. You got to pay yeah, the rent. You got to pay. You got to pay that rent. <laughs> That's Absolutely. how it goes. That's it. Um, and also the thing here, uh, we'll let this let next clip go with Linus, is that he feels the way that Korea handles real estate nowadays is actually affecting the restaurant business in a big way and Korean society in general. And I'll let Linus talk about it here. Let's listen to that. No one expects a place, any place or a restaurant to last more than one or two years. They, no one expects a restaurant to last more than the lease, which is two years, you know, standard. If you're lucky, 
it's five. And so what does that do to like, I don't know, people who are running restaurants? Are they really going to build things to last? Do they want to spend the money to make a place really worthwhile? They're going to hire the cheapest construction guy. They're going to make food with the cheapest, cheapest materials. Yeah. They're not going to really spend money on service and that type of thing. It really affects society. And then, uh, you know, you have that going on. And then somebody who really wants to legitimately run a good place, they can't afford these places now. You know, so we're kind of forced to move further out and out and out. I don't know. That's my biggest gripe with, with the restaurant scene. If you're griping about the about food and the restaurant and the quality things, you should really, the root of it is greed and speculation in the re- in the real estate industry that is so interesting i i've never thought of the restaurant business so holistically i know that a restaurant can be a victim of its own success that the uh, landlord after a couple of years can spike those rents and essentially drive a successful restaurant right out of business that's right killing the golden goose right well like what he said i mean uh nobody really expects a restaurant to to last more than than one or two years yeah, so. that's a very, very short horizon. It is. I dare say it takes about a year or two years for a restaurant to even show up on the radar screen. Right. I mean, you've, you've been here long. You've seen it. You've mm. seen restaurants come and go every day, right? They come in and, and they go. But, I mean, the really, the ones, uh, we were just talking about this the other day. You got, there's a few of them. One of them's just closing after a 15-year run okay. uh, near my neighborhood. I mean, some of them have really good arcs if they find their niche, especially the expat ones. Because um, I don't know what it is. Uh, when you get a good expat joint, it's sort of self-perpetuating. I guess because you have this constant information flow of people leaving, people coming in. And the first question people have is, hey, where's the joint? What's mm-hmm. the good place? Mm-hmm. And then that kind of carries on in a game of telephone. But it's really funny that for the local places and stuff, the, um, the lease is just two years. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's interesting. And then, they can, then they can ratchet it up or the more likely the restaurant can make a strategic decision to go out of business. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's hope that it goes up to five. Like, uh, up to five. You know, that makes yeah. more sense. That's yeah. a real genuine chance for the restaurant to make it uh, and for the restaurateur to recoup some of their investment and That's to make right. some long-term decisions. Good luck to all of the restaurant dreamers out there. Mark has armed you with information. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here, Kurt. And we'll see our global uh, family couples right after this.